Good morning. Uh, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. It'll be the last chapter in Matthew. We are in our final week uh, in the series that we've been going through the last couple of months uh, called DMs, looking at some of the direct messages that Jesus spoke uh, to his disciples and to us uh, throughout the Gospels. And we looked at several of these messages throughout this series. Uh, We've seen Jesus call us to trust him, to follow him, to know him, to imitate him, to remain in him, and to love him. And each of these messages, though short, just a couple of words each, uh, have had profound impact, implications for how we live our lives as Christ followers. But this last message that we look at this morning uh, that Jesus shares has reached further and has had greater impact uh, than any of these messages that we've looked at so far. I found myself reflecting and drawn to a story this week because of that very idea, the impact that just a few words can have. Uh, Imagine uh, going into a bank and innocently filling out with a withdrawal slip, uh, and just a few minutes later, finding yourself being arrested. Uh, that's exactly what happened to a man named Ron Schatz as he filled out his withdrawal slip there at the teller counter, and he had no, no idea that as he did, uh, just moments later, his wrists would be in handcuffs. Uh, it took them a while to, stra- to, to straighten out all the, what had happened and why this had occurred, Uh, The teller, though, revealed that she had pressed the silent alarm because she had received the withdrawal slip and upon turning it over, had seen written, this is a holdup. Well, upon further investigation, they discovered that somebody uh, had thought it was a great idea to write, this is a holdup, on all of the withdrawal slips at the teller counter. Uh, And so the situation was worked out and and Ron was, of course, released to go. Uh, But it's amazing what an impact just a few little words can have. In the same way, just the few words that Jesus speaks to us today in Matthew 28 have an incredible impact uh, across thousands of years. They have impacted uh, not just our lives, but Christian lives for millennia. His words have spawned hospitals and orphanages and literacy programs. The words that he speaks in Matthew 28 have led people to spend their lives in humid jungles and arid deserts as a result. Entire nations have been upended or established because of these words he shares this morning. It's because of these words that a movement of 12 became a movement of literally billions. And so we see that uh, these few words that have caused so much, this direct message, boils down to Jesus simply saying to us this morning, Share me. Share me. Just a bit of context as Jesus gives us this message. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been crucified. He has gone to the cross. He has become this uh, atoning sacrifice for our sins. And more importantly, then he has been raised from the dead. And not only did the resurrection bring him back to life, but it also validated and vindicated everything that he had proclaimed up to that point. That he truly was the Son of God. That he truly was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That his sacrifice was effective and acceptable to God. And so as Jesus has been raised from the dead, he tells the disciples through his angels to meet him in Galilee. And it's there that he gives now the 11, uh, because of Judas uh, ending his life because of his betrayal of Christ, uh, there's 11 disciples remain, and Jesus gives them uh, his marching orders. As he will be returning to heaven, ascending uh, back to the Father shortly, he is leaving on the uh, the lives, the backs of these 11 men to carry out his kingdom work. Through his power, through his spirit, uh, they will be continuing what he began. 
And so he gives them what has traditionally been called the Great Commission. He commissions them with the work that they have to do. And so we see in Matthew 28, verse 16, uh, Jesus says this. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I have to be honest, when I come to these kind of big moments in Scripture, uh, I kind of struggle a little bit with uh, what to say. You know, something as, as big and paradigm-shifting as something like the Great Commission, you could, I mean, turn really the, these just four short, short verses into an entire sermon series in themselves. In fact, I think just before I came five years ago, uh, that's what Brian Brubaker had been working through. He had turned this commission into an entire sermon series. And so I come to something like this, and it's like, what can I add? What could I say to, to make these words come to light in a new way? And so this morning, I know that I could, we could take some really deep dives into this, but I simply want to look at this message this morning that Jesus gives us, this message of Share Me, to see how we might be inspired and empowered to help disciple people. I, I kind of see this right off the bat, our, our own role in this. As we learn something about those whom Jesus has called to this task, to this mission. One of the first things that stood out to me as I studied this passage this week was verse 17. It says, when they saw him, the eleven saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that word doubted stood out to me because you would think that after, at this point, after all the disciples had experienced, they would be all in. It would have been easy for Matthew to say, you know, we all bowed down and worshipped Jesus as our risen Lord and Savior and immediately and wholeheartedly bought into his mission. But one of the things that I love most about the Bible and I think it really lends credence to its believability, is that oftentimes even the heroes of the stories aren't cast in the best light. It recognizes the flaws uh, of the men that are uh, often those who are carrying forward the mission. I mean, here are these 11 guys that have followed Jesus for three years. They've heard him uh, on numerous occasions predict his death and his resurrection. They've seen him crucified. They've been notified by the angels of his resurrection and still... They're not quite sold. This word doubted is also uh, translate, translated hesitated in other places. It's the word used uh, for Peter when he's walking on the water toward Jesus and he recognizes the storm surging around him. And he, he immediately plummets like the rock that he's named for because of his hesitation. He hesitated in his trust in Jesus and so he sank. And so here again, we see these 11 disciples approach Jesus, and while they do worship him, there's also some hesitation. I can't help but think that this must be kind of surreal for them as Jesus stands before them in a situation that would be all too familiar after three years of ministry with him, but yet in another way, completely different. I'm sure they think back to the last time we see them interact with Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, as he's arrested in the garden before his crucifixion. And rather than stand by him or defend him or come to his aid, they all flee in terror. And so I imagine they stand before Jesus now, wondering what kind of reception they will receive from the master they had deserted. 
And I think because of all of this, this, this doubt, this hesitation, this uncertainty, we see implications for us in this as well. I mean, who of us hasn't hesitated when it comes to recognizing Jesus or, or telling others about him, carrying out the mission that he's given us at one time or another? We see Jesus build his kingdom on the backs of these 11 guys who have often failed, who often haven't measured up, who haven't always got it, who haven't always understood and, and sometimes are downright clueless. But as we see the story unfold in the book of Acts, we see that these 11 men, though imperfect, are perfect for the job. And so if this morning, as we look at this commission, these marching orders, this message that Jesus has given us, if you feel like a screw-up, if you feel like you don't measure up, I want you to know that discipleship isn't just for perfect people. Discipleship isn't just for perfect people. All of us have imperfections. All of us have flaws and sins and shortcomings, but God can work through those because of His power. And I don't just say this as an inspiration, as a rally cry for us to, you know, rah, rah, go out and get them. But because of the mission that Jesus has given us and the bookends he puts on it. I, I say this because of the nature of the one sending us on this mission. We have the power to share Jesus, even as imperfect people, not because of our own power, but because of his. In fact, this way, I, I kind of uh, thought of an analogy that... Uh, Pardon me patting myself on the back, but sometimes the Spirit strikes and you feel like a genius. Uh, you know, the Great Commission, you ready for this, is like a grilled cheese sandwich. I know, it's, it's probably not what you're expecting, but I think it's true. Because when you think of a grilled cheese sandwich, what makes a grilled cheese sandwich so great? Many of you would be tempted to say cheese, because, I mean, after all, that is the only thing in a grilled cheese sandwich. But you would be wrong. Because you can put all of the finest cheese in a grilled cheese sandwich, the, the, the Gouda and the American and the Munster and the aged cheddar. And as an aside, I don't know why aged cheddar sounds good. I mean, how long must the cheese be neglected before it's called aged? But uh, that's neither here nor there. The, the thing that makes a grilled cheese sandwich is not the cheese. Because you can fill it with all the best cheese in the world, but without the bread. It's just a sticky mess in a frying pan. You see, what makes a grilled cheese sandwich so good is that perfectly toasted bread, that lightly buttered and slightly browned top and bottom. You see, the cheese of the Great Commission, the middle part, the, the call to discipleship is good, but it's nothing without the bread. Listen to how Jesus begins and ends the bread of this commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he follows it up with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The bread of the Great Commission is Jesus' power and his presence. Jesus highlights his power. He says, all authority, all rule, all dominion, everything, everywhere is all mine. As he has submitted himself to the Father, but has been given this rule over all creation. And he highlights his presence. He says, surely I am with you always. Anywhere, everywhere from now until the end of time when I return, I am with you. And what that means for us, why this bread is, is so good and important to the sandwich of the Great Commission, is that because of his promises and his presence and his power, we don't have to feel afraid or alone as we attempt to reach people with the gospel. Another way to think of it is I heard of a mailman who said that all the resources of the government are pledged to support me in carrying on my work. 
As long as I have only one small postcard in my bag, no one should dare to bother me and its delivery. All the federal powers of the United States would be thrown into action if necessary to secure the safe delivery of just one postcard. And that's the promise of the power and presence of Jesus that we have as we carry out his mission. That as we have been given this task, all of the powers of the king of the universe have been put on our side to carry out the work that he's given us. But returning to that grilled cheese analogy, just because the bread is the most important part doesn't mean that the cheese is unimportant. The heart of what Jesus calls us to do, the the mission in the midst of his promises, is what makes this commission so impactful, what makes it so important for us to carry it out. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I know for many of you in this room, those words are not new ones. If you've grown up in church, you've heard these words uh, a number of times. You've studied them. You've heard sermons on them. Maybe you've even memorized them. But when it comes to this commission, I think we often approach it the wrong way. I think it's easy to look at this mission that Jesus gives us, these marching orders, and to kind of just create a checklist. You know, first we see that Jesus tells us to go. And second, there's make disciples, and third, there's baptize, and fourth, there's teach. And if we can do all of these things, well, then we've done our job. And obviously, none of these things are, are bad or wrong. We are called to go. We are called to leave our comfort zones and to, to bring the message to those who are far from Jesus. We are called to make disciples, to, to make uh, and help followers of Jesus look like Jesus. We are called to, to baptize and to be baptized as identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and to receive the forgiveness of sins and the, gift, the, and the gift of the Holy Spirit in that process. We are called to instruct others in the way that God has called us to live and to study His Word for ourselves. But if we make all those things simply a checklist, we kind of miss the point. In fact, only one of those four actions, one of those four verbs, is a verb. All of these other things in this, the way it's originally framed up in the original language, are acting as supporting verbs. And the one verb that's there is probably the one that you would least expect. Because you might think, well, surely the emphasis is on go. I mean, those who, who go and, and you know, go to other countries or go to other places and sacrifice everything to, to be the, the, the missionaries, they're like the super Christians. And so that must be the one that Jesus wants us to focus on. Or now you say, well, maybe... Maybe the emphasis has to be on baptism. It's such an important part of our salvation, being identified with Jesus like that. And so, you know, if we can get them wet, then we've done our duty. Or maybe you think, you know, teaching. Where would we be without teaching? It's such a, a primary part of our gathering on Sundays that maybe teaching is the one that Jesus wants to focus on. But actually, the verb that is the force of Jesus' message is to make disciples. All of the others that Jesus gives us are tools at our disposal when it comes to helping point others to Jesus, but are not the emphasis that Jesus is putting forth. But I think the reason that we often overlook the call to make disciples and go straight to that kind of checklist approach is because making disciples is hard. 
It's not near as cut and dry as the others. I mean, we know what it looks like to go as hard as it might be, and we know what it looks like to, to baptize. We, we see this concrete example in the waters. We, we know what it is to teach. We experience that in church all of the time. But making disciples, that requires so much more. Discipleship requires transparency and vulnerability and accountability and, and walking alongside someone as you both walk closer to Jesus. And frankly, that's not an easy process. And so this morning, I, I want to offer you some kind of helpful s- steps when it comes to discipleship and carrying out Jesus' call to share him with others. Uh, these aren't original to me. I first heard them uh, a couple of years ago at the preaching and teaching convention at Ozark Christian College from Gene Apple. He's a minister out of Eastview Christian Church in, in California, and I'm not sure they're original to him, but they stuck with me. And he calls them 3D discipleship. And if you're taking notes, I, I'd encourage you to write these down so that you can pray over these and, and reflect on these uh, when thinking about who you might reach with this message of sharing Jesus. The first D that would help us uh, in reaching others and sharing Jesus is to decide to engage. Decide to engage. And I know this kind of sounds like a, a non-step. I mean, decision is easy. It's just a thought process. But the first step of discipleship is making the decision to take seriously what Jesus has called us to do. It truly must be a decision. Because very rarely does discipleship happen by itself. If anything, if you're like me, discipleship often kind of ends up on the the one-day list. You know, one day I'd like to have that conversation. One day I'd, I'd like to begin to create opportunities to share my faith. One day I'll, I'll work up the courage. One day. I think of, you know, we did our core values uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, a friend of mine works at uh, a church in Oklahoma. They have uh, core values as well. One of theirs that uh, isn't one of ours, uh, but I still like it, is the core value of my invitation matters. And I like this because the, the thrust behind this value is that there are people that are in your sphere of influence. People that you interact with, co-workers, spouses, friends, family, loved ones. Uh, people that you have relationships with. Uh, that might be the only invitation they ever receive to know Jesus. You might be the only person in their life that can extend to them the invitation to discipleship, to know Jesus, to follow after Jesus. And I like that because it really creates an urgency within us. And highlights the importance of what we're doing, that we might be the only point of contact that someone has between them and Jesus. And so we have to decide to engage with people. It begins with the decision to engage with the gospel. Secondly, after we've decided to engage with someone, after we have someone in mind, we secondly develop the relationship. Develop the relationship. See, often when it comes to sharing our faith, you know, we think we have to go cold calling. Uh, we think we have to muster up the courage to, to hit up the neighborhood with our gospel tracks and, and knock on doors and say, Hello, dear neighbor, would you be interested in having your soul saved today? And I'm not saying that's not, I mean, that's not saying that's never worked. That's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But I'm also going to venture to guess that that isn't the most effective way of discipleship. You see, discipleship happens in relationship. Discipleship happens when your coworker is going through a divorce and you invite them to church so that they can experience some of the peace and the hope and the family that you have here. 
It's when you sit down with your sister to help her study and understand the Bible. It's when you lead your family in a devotion a few times a week. Discipleship happens best in relationship. But the problem is that if you've been a Christian for a little while, that there might be another obstacle that stands in your way of developing relationships. Studies have shown that within six years of becoming a Christian, after, after six years, most Christians have no meaningful relationships, no meaningful connections with non-Christians. After six years, most of our friendships, most of our relationships, most of the people that we interact with and relate to are all Christians themselves. And so maybe the relationships that you need to develop aren't the ones you have, but the ones that you need to have. Maybe it means getting to know your neighbor a little bit better. Maybe it means, uh, rather than just having you know, water cooler gossip at the workplace, really engaging in deep and meaningful connections and conversations. Maybe it means just those people that you have uh, passing influence with, that you need to dive deeper in your relationship with them. Forge meaningful connections so that you can have meaningful conversations. When you begin with relationship, what we find is that people don't view you as just a, a religious fanatic recruiting, but rather a caring friend who wants to help someone see a better way, an eternal way to live. The third D that helps us to share Jesus is to discern the next step. Once we've decided to act, once we've found someone to impact and develop that relationship, how will we help them take a step closer to Jesus? Maybe it's an invitation to church. Maybe it's leading some of your coworkers or your team uh, through a Bible study before or after work. Maybe it's reading through the Bible uh, together or meeting together to pray with someone on a lunch break. I think of a couple of ladies uh, in our church that came to me uh, a little while ago. And they said, hey, we've just realized the, ra- the, the friendship, the relationship that we've had, uh, that what we've kind of been doing is discipling each other. We've been forging each other and, and helping each other draw closer to Jesus. And, and we really want to see that go further. We want to discern that next step. Well, several months later, as they prepared this and worked on this and looked at what that might look like, it became a women's worship night. Where a couple of weeks ago, women were gathered here in the evening and they were praying and, and crying and, 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 and connecting and pouring their hearts out to Jesus. All because two people said, hey, we want others to experience what we have experienced together. And we want to discern what that looks like. All because they took seriously Jesus' call to share me. And so this morning, when it comes to discerning next steps, maybe the best question to ask is, what's your next step? What does it look like after you've decided to engage someone? After you've developed that relationship, after you've discerned the, the next step, what does that look like? And that's something that I can't answer for you. It's something that can be answered through thought and meditation and prayer as you reflect on who Jesus has called you to share him with this week. For some of you, maybe that next step is, is really a, a step that you have to make yourself. That before you can call others to walk alongside you toward Jesus, you have to begin that pursuit of him in your own life. And for some of you, that might be coming to Jesus for the first time, acknowledging Him for who He is as Lord and as Savior, as the one who has all authority, who is always present and with us. Or maybe it's simply saying, I need to take more seriously 
the life that Christ has called me to live. That rather than something I just experience on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, it's something that becomes integral to who I am. And I need to make that decision in my life. If that's a decision that you need to make or you want encouragement or prayer for, I'll be up front. Some of our elders will be in the back. Our response team is going to come forward during this time of invitation. We'd love to just pray with you and encourage you. For others, the next step requires some of that 3D discipleship. To begin to think seriously of how we are going to impact people for Jesus. Because like I said, it rarely happens on its own. And so I want to encourage you, as I will be doing this week, to begin praying and asking Jesus to point people out to you, to, to point opportunities out to you, for you to share him with others. Jesus has called us, told us to share me. And so I hope that we will be emboldened and empowered and encouraged and strengthened to share him well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to ask for your spirit to be at work within us. We know that as Christians, as those who have given our lives to you, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so we pray for his power to be manifested in our lives. And God, so often as we talk about sharing our faith, we are quick to construct barriers, obstacles, uh, to say, you know, what if I'm rejected? What if I don't know enough? What if I, through my missteps, lead someone further away from Jesus? But God, I hope that you would remind us, I pray that you would remind us, that discipleship isn't just for perfect people. That just as your disciples carried on your work in the book of Acts, though being imperfect, did powerful and mighty things for you. And we saw the birth of a kingdom and your church come into play because of what these men, though imperfect, did because they relied on your power and your presence. God, I hope that you would remember, help us to remember uh, the bread of the, the grilled cheese of the Great Commission, your power and your presence. That you are always with us, always on our ha- on our, uh, fighting on our behalf, by our side, working along with us to see your kingdom come. God, I pray that you would encourage us this week to sit down And to begin to discern these three D's. To decide to engage with someone. To develop that relationship. And to discern a next step. God, we thank you that you have called us to be a part of this great kingdom work. That we are not sitting on the sidelines watching what you do, but you have called us to be participants. And so God, I pray that you would empower us to share Jesus. To tell others of the hope and grace and truth and life that are available in him. Let me pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.